0: The word "hear" in the New Testament, the the word that's used when he tells us that we are to hear what he has to say, is a word that means not just "hear with your ears" the information, but "hear with the intent to apply it." it makes a big difference why you're listening to something. If you're if you're having breakfast with your spouse and she's telling you or you're, he's telling you the same thing over and over again, sometimes we listen just to get. Through the experience, but sometimes we listen because we need to know what's being said, and that's why uh, us, the same message may hit you very differently on different days. It's not that the words changed; it's that you've changed, that your openness, your need. So, if 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 you've come in here this morning and you're just coming to come to church this morning, then you need to you need to make an adjustment inside because there's something very vital that the Spirit of God wants to say to you this morning. God is a speaking God. He didn't speak in times past. He continues to speak. That book that's in your lap, that Bible, or whatever it is that you have the Bible in nowadays, that is a, that is a living Word. It's the only book that speaks to you. I've read other books, some of them I've read three and four times, and after a while you just know what's in them, so, you, you know, it's, the words are just there to you. But this word is fresh and new every time I pick it up. Why? Because it is the living God speaking to me every day. And that's not just true when you open your Bible, that's true when we come together. We've come together for the purpose of God has something He wants to say to you personally this morning. So adjust yourself so that you're, you're curious, your antennae are up to hear what the Spirit wants to say to us this morning, to us collectively as a church, but also individually to each one of us. And as we do that together, He'll get us where He wants to get us. Open your Bibles with me to First John chapter 2. We have been talking about getting ready for His return. I've heard reports of people, not even necessarily that come here, that have been watching on television, and it's awakened them, because He is coming back. And the question is, are we ready? Are we ready? Now, the real question is, are you ready? Am I ready? Because we're not going to stand before Him as a congregation. We're going to stand before Him individually. You're not going to stand before Him as a couple with your wife. We're going to stand before Him individually. And we have to give an account. We're not talking about whether you go to heaven or not. That's a different stand. We're talking about once you get there, it's not just getting in by the skin of your teeth. It's not just getting in with what Pastor Sam used to talk about as an insurance, fire insurance policy, you know, and the, whew, the you know the smoke's off the back of your coattails because you just made it. <laughs> and that'd be great. That's better than not making it. But now that you're there, now what? Whew, I made it. Well, that'll last a little while that you look back and say... Wow, I made it, but now you've got to begin to look forward, and we're talking about eternity. Long time to think about things. Long time to reflect about opportunities. a Long time to to look back and see the things I did and I didn't do. But not only that, the Bible says we're going to, each of us has to stand before Him and give an account of what we did with what God gave to us. And basically, it's to give an account for being, we've seen this already, whether you're faithful to do what He's called you to do. So we've spent some time going through some specific things to do and to focus on to be ready. We saw that the first thing was to make sure that you're saved. We'll talk a little more about that today. Because, you know, if you're not, you don't get in. (laughs) So that's the opening thing, is to make sure that you have given your life to Christ, that you have repented of your sin, that you are, you're a sinner, you've failed God's standards. You no way you can do it on your own. And you've called upon Christ to be your Savior, to take your place for the, for the sacrifice of that cross, to pay for your sin. And by the way, I've been walking with the Lord for over 30 years, and I still have to come back to the cross. Because the, everything you do with God is through the cross. You don't get to be a good Christian, and therefore you, go, or you avoid the cross now because you've been such a good Christian. Everything is through the cross. Our standing with God is through the blood of Jesus shed on that cross. And so we always have to come back to that and remind ourselves that's the basis of our relationship with God and with each other. So we've seen that the beginning is to make sure is that, you know, that we are in Christ, so that we have been converted. The second thing we saw we needed to do was to wake up, realize where you are, and I gave you the example. It's funny. It happened again this morning. My wife smiled at me because I was in a deep sleep and my alarm went off. The Sunday morning seems to be the only time that I want to sleep through the alarm. I don't know what it is, but I was in a deep sleep. I don't know where I was. I was somewhere on the other side of the world and that, that alarm goes off and I'm brought back into this period of time where, where am I? what day is it and realizing where, where the, what the reality is because when I face what the reality is, it changes what I do. I now got to get up. I now have got to begin to do some things. That's what wake up means. And so much of the church is in that slumber land right now, somewhere between, you know, a deep sleep and up and functioning. And we're in that that in-between zone where we're trying to figure out where we are. Well, it's time to wake up. The alarms are going off all around us to realize where we are in history, where we are spiritually, and therefore we need to face what we need to do. And that's not scary, that's good news. So we saw that we need, we need to awake. The next thing we not discovered is we need each other. The Bible says that there's assembly required. In, 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 he- in Hebrews chapter 10, it says, As you see the day approaching, even the more forsake not your assembling together. Why? Because God made us to need each other. We are the body of Christ. We're not individuals who belong to Christ. We are His body, and He needs His body "...functioning at full efficiency in this day and age." So we saw that we need to be assembled together. And that means to physically come together. In this day and age, we have all kinds of devices that allow us to hear the Word of God and see the Word of God in the comfort of our living room, in our... wherever you may be. And so there are all kinds of natural excuses for not physically coming together. But assembly means coming together... You don't want your body in different places, do you? You need it physically together. Well, He needs His body physically together, looking in each other's eyes, hearing each other's voices, putting a hand on each other's shoulders, giving a word of encouragement, or whatever it is that God has you to do. Then the next thing we saw we need to do is live right before Him. And we'll kind of see that a little bit again today. That as you see Him coming, He says, that, that, that as you see Him coming, that we are to purify ourselves. We are to live right, make sure you're living right before Him. Make sure you're not violating what you know the Word of God says to violate, because you're going to have to give an account for it. You're going to have to give an account for it. And there's some things, Paul says, that are kind of alarming. That's that wake-up again there's some of the things he tells different churches. He says, make sure you're not doing these things because the wrath of God's going to come on those that are doing those things. Now, he's not necessarily saying, if you do them, God's wrath coming on you. But he says, why do you want to fool around with the things that's going to get God's wrath coming on unbelievers? Sin, don't look at it, you know, what, am I going to go to heaven or not go to heaven? Look at it this way. What does sin do? Sin pulls you away from God. Doesn't mean God doesn't love you. It pulls you away from him. It hardens you to him. Its purpose is to separate you and your fellowship with him and your experience of with him. And so that's why God hates sin because he knows what it does to us and what it does to our relationship with him. So we saw we need to make sure we're living right then the last time we talked about this before we went away is we saw that the Bible tells, talks a lot about being ready is making sure you've taken your place in the body, <clears throat> making sure that you are answering the call that God has for you, whatever that may be, but you're not going to find out what it is if you're not willing to do it. And we talked about the fact that it doesn't have to be standing in a pulpit. There's a whole area of ministry calling out there which is the ministry of helps, helping, which is whatever it does to help in the body of Christ. And so whether you're not you're sweeping the, the, the parking lot or you're just being friendly or serving, whatever it is. But the point is there is something God has called you to do, just as much as He's called me to stand in this pulpit. It is a calling for God for which we'll all give an account of whether we did what we were called to do. Okay. Now did you find First John chapter two? This is where we've talked about before. We're going to look at the next thing. Verse twenty eight. 1 John 2, verse 28. And now little children, so he's talking to the church. Now there's some Christian writers out there that have written books that say that 1 John is not written to the church, but we're his little children. So it's written to the church all right. Now little children, abide in him that when he appears we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. Now we've talked before what that tells us is that there's going to be two responses that you're going to have when He comes. Either you're going to have confidence before Him, or you're going to pull back out of shame. One of the two is going to be your reaction or my reaction, and it all depends on whether we were ready or not. Now the word confidence here is interesting, because the word confidence in the Greek doesn't just mean a boldness, it literally means a freedom to speak. It literally means an openness to say what's on your heart and on your mind. It literally means to talk freely to Him. So that means when He comes back, some of us are going to be free to open and talk to Him. Why? Because we have a confidence. You're going to see why. Because we have a confidence in who we are before Him. But the other alternative is to pull back in shame. So in this verse, it tells us another key to being ready. Because it says this, And now, little children, when He appears, uh, or abide in Him, so that when He appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed. So one of the keys is when He comes back, is to make sure you're abiding in Him. And that's the next step for being ready, is to make sure you're abiding in Him. So we're going to talk this morning about Abiding in Him and what that means. Now, if you research the word "abide," it's the Greek word "meno," which literally means to remain or be steadfast in. And so, an initial reading of this and looking at this kind of gives you the impression what he's saying is just stay in Christ, and that's true doctrinally. Just stay in Him. Don't leave Him. Don't quit the. Don't quit Christ. Don't walk away from Him. Just stay in Him, and and that's abiding in Him. But but I want to look. Because the Bible doesn't give us a definition of abiding that I've seen, other than what the Greek word means. But, but Jesus does, because he gives us some examples, kind of functional definitions, examples of what that involves and what, what that means. So let me ask you, are you interested in finding out? Yes. Since it's a key point to being confident when he comes back, I, know, I want to know what it means. All right, turn with me then to, uh, let's make sure I'm in the right place. Turn with me to John chapter 6. Now, one of the keys to knowing what abiding means is to just look at what Jesus did. Because Jesus was abiding in His Father. And some of the things we see, and we're not going to go there, but in John chapter 5, verses 18 and 19, Jesus said, I only only did what I saw my Father doing. The key word there is only. He didn't say, look, I did what I wanted to do, and then I did sometimes what my Father did. He said, I only did what I saw my father doing. That tells us several things. That tells us, first of all, where his focus was. In order to see what his father's doing, he has to be looking at his father. I'm going to say that again. In order to be able to see what his father's doing, he has to be looking at his father. There's a child's game called Simon Says, you know, where, where, you know, you you know know the game, where you get a bunch of people and the leader says, you know, Simon Says, put your hand on your head and Simon Says, you know, scratch your ear, Simon Says, and then one of the times, they don't say Simon Says and you do it, you're out. So you got to pay attention both by watching and by listening to what the leader's doing so that you don't, so so you're in the group. And so Jesus says, I only do what I see my Father doing, only. That sounds very limiting, doesn't it? In fact, Jesus goes on to say, I only say what I hear my Father say. I only say what I... So all he did was do what he saw his Father doing and say what he saw his Father say. I mean, this guy had no originality. I mean, modern-day psychologists would just tear him to pieces. Where, what happened to the creativity and developing the person and his, his own development of who he is and finding out who he is? What happened to all that? I mean, this guy must have really had some hang-ups and been bound up. But the truth is, it was just the opposite. He's the freest man that's ever walked on the face of this earth. Interesting principle there, isn't it? The more you yield yourself to him, and the more he becomes who you are, the freer you are. Paul's ambition was to lose himself. We got so many Christians out there trying to find themselves, they need to get saved. Because the Bible tells you who you are. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Paul says in Galatians 2.20, For this is who I am, I've been crucified with Christ. Therefore, as a result of that, it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in this flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Then to 1 Corinthians, he says, I, through the, the cross I've been crucified to the world, and the world's been crucified to me. Galatians chapter, or excuse me, Colossians chapter 3 says that if you have been raised with Christ, then seek the things that are above where Christ has died and is seated with the Father. Therefore, Set your eyes on things above and not on the things that are on the earth. For don't you know that you've died and your life is hidden with Christ in God? Romans 6 says that if you've been ba- talking about sin and this issue of sin, it says, here's the answer. Don't you realize that when you were baptized into Christ, that means you were joined to Him. You were baptized or joined into His death, His burial, so that you'll participate in His resurrection to newness of life. That's who you are. You have been joined, if you're a Christian, you've been joined to Christ. The Bible says you're one spirit with Him. So our whole job is not to find out who we are, it's to learn more who He is, because who He is is who I am now. Which is why the writer of Hebrews says in chapter 2, 12, he said, considering that we have such a great cloud of witnesses that have gone on before us, let us run with endurance the race that's set before us, setting aside the sins and the the weights that so easily beset us. And how do you do that? The next verse says, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. He is who you are. You've been joined to him, so you need to learn more about who he is and less about who you are. And then the Bible says, here's how you do that, you begin to put him on. That means you start acting like who he is, because that's who you are. So when you run up against a situation, don't figure out what you want to do, ask yourself the question, it was wonderful, you know, bracelets and things that were popular a few years ago, what would Jesus do? It was a nice cute thing, but it is the gospel. I ask myself in every situation, what would you do, Lord? What do you do in this situation? Because then that's what I'm going to do. Because we've been joined together. And I find as I do that and put Him on in those situations and begin to talk like Him and act like Him, what happens is His life begins to flow out of me. And that's what Jesus did with His Father. Maybe there's a key in this. Understand what abiding means. John chapter 6. Now the background to this story is that Jesus has just performed some dramatic miracles. First of all, he's just fed 5,000 men with a little boy's lunch. Then when that was done, they went up on a hill, the disciples and Jesus. Nighttime came. Jesus says, get in a boat and go to the other side. And as they were going, Jesus decided to go there also, except he didn't have a boat. And and so he walked on the water. And you know the story, walked on the water and, and the whole story. Now when the dawn comes, the people that were there that he'd fed, they saw the disciples get in the boat, but they knew Jesus didn't get in the boat. The last thing they saw was he was on this shore and the disciples were in a boat going there. Now they look around, they can't find him. So they go around to the other side... And, 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 they, and Jesus starts talking to them. So this is verse 22. On the following day, the people who were standing on the other side of the sea saw that there was no other boat there except that the one which the disciples had entered. And Jesus had not entered the boat with the disciples, but his disciples had gone on alone. However, other boats came from Tiberias near the place where they ate bread. And so and the Lord had given thanks. Now, go down to end of verse 25. And when they found on the other side of the sea, found him, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, now notice this, You seek me, this Is what we're talking about, seeking him. People seek him for all kinds of different reasons. Let me, get it, let me get it down to where we are this morning. People are here in church this morning for all kinds of different reasons. Now, there's no condemnation, but it does help to locate ourselves. Some people are here to fulfill an obligation because they'll feel better about themselves. Some people may even be here hoping that by coming, the Patriots will win or whatever team you're looking for. You'd be surprised the thoughts people have. You'd be surprised the thoughts that people have. But people are here this morning quote-unquote, seeking God for all kinds of different motives. And it's a good idea sometimes to check our motives, not pull everything out, but just do it. Why am I doing what I'm doing? Because we can have a good, uh, the right motive one day and just begin to kind of drift. And so it's a good idea to check. So Jesus is saying to them, he's talking about why they seek him. You seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. so And that's true today. We've got people that are seeking the Lord, following Him, serving Him, for what they're getting out of it. We live in a time in the church when most of the church is so selfish and self-centered. Their motive for seeking the Lord and following Him is all they're going to get out of it. And, 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 and that's okay when you're a little baby because a baby, a child, a small child is basically selfish and self-centered. But if you're 25 and you're still doing that, you're going to run into problems. But then we live in a society that's 25, 35, 45, 55, 65 and on up and still doing the same thing. Living for themselves and what they get out of it. The problem is we've got Christians doing the same thing. I don't see Paul talking a lot about that. It's in there. But I see him talking more about... When he identifies himself, he identifies himself as a bond servant of the Lord. I don't hear a lot of people talking about being bondservants. I hear people talking about their blessing. And that's fine. God blesses us. But if that's why you're serving Him, there's a problem. Then you're no different than these people. And Jesus... Notice, they're there sir. They're, they're, oh, this is good. They're following the Lord... Because he went to the other side and they came all the way around. They didn't take a boat. They came all the way around to be there when he was there. And I'm sure they felt, oh, we're following the Lord. And he's now going to begin to do some separating. Because as you're following me, you're seeking me, you're seeking me because of the food you got at the last service. You got a free meal. And that's why you're here. Well, let's move on because this becomes very testing for everybody in this picture. Not us, of course, but in this picture. You seek me, I say, you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set His seal upon Him." Now, they didn't understand what he was talking about, and we may not yet either. So they said to him in verse 28, Then what shall we do that we may work the works of God? Give us something to do, Lord. Look at Jesus' answer, verse 29. Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in Him whom He sent. Therefore they said to Him, What sign shall you perform then that we may see it? And believe you, what work will you do so that we can believe? As the fathers ate the manna in the desert, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Now, we don't have time to go back and look at that. But if you go back into Deuteronomy 7 and 8, what you'll see is God is explaining through Moses. You remember the bread where they came out into the wilderness? When they, they, you know, God delivers them out of Egypt, they get out into the wilderness. And after about three or four days, they run out of food and water. And now they panic. And then, you know, where are we going to get bread to eat? Where are we going to... Just like the children that Jesus just fed on the other side of the sea. They didn't have any food to eat. And so what happened in, in, in Moses' case, he went to God and God says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to rain down out of heaven dew that's going to be, that's going to be uh, dough that they can now knead and bake into bread. And, the, and what happened is that happened... He said, I'm going to give it every morning and every evening, every day, except on the Sabbath because I've told you not to do anything on the Sabbath. What I'll do is give you two days on the day before so that you have enough that you can use to bake and eat on the Sabbath because I know you do need to eat. But if you try to collect two days' worth on any other day so that you can't go out there, you don't have to go out there the next day, the second day's worth will rot. And, And in Deuteronomy, what God makes clear to them is, I was training you so that you would understand that man does not live by bread alone but by trusting every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Because I said I'll provide for you, I'm training you to trust my provision because my promise that I will do what I said I will do. That's what he was training them, and that's what they're referring to. That's the sign that God provided them the physical bread that they needed for their physical sustenance. And now Jesus is going to take that principle and take them to another level or give them the opportunity of going to another level. Okay. Then Jesus said to them, "Most assuredly I say to you, Moses did not Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world." Then they said to him, "See, they're they're going to be really spiritual now. All right, Lord, give us this bread always." And Jesus said to them, "I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. He who believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that to you that you have seen me and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me, I will by no means cast him out. I have come down from heaven not to do my own will. Here's another thing. isn't that interesting? He didn't have a will of his own. Not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. And this is the will of the Father who sent me, that all that He's given me I should lose nothing, but should raise them up on the last day. And this is the will of Him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in Him may have everlasting life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. So far, they're all keyed in with Him. They're amening Him. They're with Him. Now let's go on. And the Jews complained about Him, though. They said, because He said, I am the bread which came down out of heaven. And they said, "Wait, wait, wait a minute. Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father Mary and mother Mary, whose father and mother we know? And how is it that he says, "I have come down from heaven"? And Jesus answered and said to them, "Do not murmur of yourself. No one can come to me unless the Father, who sent me, draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. For it is written in the prophets that they shall all be taught by God. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me." Now let's go down, verse forty-seven. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Now, he's referred back to the bread that came to the children of Israel. And what what did that sustain? What did that provide life to? Their body, right? Okay. Now, notice what he's going to say. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna, that was the other bread, in the wilderness, and they're dead. So that bread gave them physical life, but it didn't give them eternal life because they're dead. This bread which comes down from heaven, the one that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I give them, now he's really going to get them upset, is my flesh which I give for the life of the world. The Jews therefore quarreled among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? And Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up in the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, or it is real food. True food and my blood is drink indeed or true drink. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood, oh here we go, abides in me and I in him. Now let's go over to verse 60. Therefore many of the disciples, many of his disciples when he heard this, now the disciples, remember he has three he has a group of 12 disciples who are the apostles of the Lamb. There's a group of 70 that he has around him that he commissions and sends out. And then there's a larger group. So disciples does not just mean the 12 here, because we'll see that. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a hard saying, and, we can't, and who can understand it? And when Jesus knew in himself his disciples complained about this, he said to them, Does this offend you? What is it then if you see the Son of Man and ascend where He came from, where He was before? It is the Spirit that gives life, the flesh profits nothing. But the words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning those who did not believe and would betray Him. Verse 65, He said, Therefore I say unto you that no one can come to Me unless the has been granted Him by the Father. From that time on, many of His disciples went back and walked with Him no more, Then Jesus turns to a disciple, his own, the Twelve, and says, Are you going to go away also? Simon Peter said to him, Lord, to whom shall we go? For only you have the words of eternal life. This was a dividing point, a separating of why people followed him. Because he was saying things that they liked, he was doing things that they liked. And now he began to say some difficult things that was hard for them to understand. And it can be hard for us to understand. But here's what I believe he's talking about. Just as the manna from heaven sustained their physical life, Jesus is saying, I am the bread of life, that if you will eat me, I'll explain that in a minute. If you will eat my flesh and drink my blood, then you will have eternal life in you. Now, what happens when you eat something? This isn't complicated it becomes part of you, doesn't it? Your body processes it, the part of the food that is not beneficial, it eliminates, and the part that is beneficial, whether you need it or not, it puts somewhere. If it doesn't use it up, it finds a place to store it. And so that ham sandwich that I had two days ago, it's here somewhere. (laughs) The parts of it I didn't need, that it may need in the future, it placed somewhere. So it's now, listen to me, it's now become part of me. It's abiding in me. And I'm abiding in it. So eating of something, consuming it, gives this image of a union, a joining together, a becoming part of Something. Now, what happens when that ham sandwich becomes part of me? It begins to take on my characteristics. You can't look at me and see the ham sandwich hanging over here. Now, that may be the ham sandwich, but listen to me, listen to me. It doesn't look like a ham sandwich anymore. It looks like me because it's been absorbed in me and become part of me. It now begins to look like me and act like me. Oh, this is going to get better. And this part over here will function together with this part over here and with this part over here. it it will cooperate together with the other parts of me that may not have been a ham sandwich. may have been a glass of juice. It may even have been a piece of cheesecake. Very different kinds of food that now can work together because they're now part of the same body. They don't argue with each other even though a ham sandwich may not normally get along with a piece of cheesecake. Now there's some of those foods I've tried to put together in my stomach and they definitely didn't get along. (laughs) But eventually, they became part of me. While they were separate and in my stomach, they may battle each other. But once they become part of me, there's no longer a battle going on because they've lost their identity in me. And I believe that's what Jesus is talking about. Except instead of a ham sandwich, it's Him we're taking into ourselves. It's Him we're being joined to. And in that case, instead of the ham sandwich becoming me, that me becomes what I've partaken of because He's greater than I am. Okay, let's move along. Let's look at another example. And that's what they had trouble with, because now he's changing the subject from being, getting things from him. Notice what they said. They started out by looking at what what they were going to get. He says, you're following me, not because of the miracles I did, not because of the signs I performed, and the signs pointed to who he was. That's the significance of that. But you're following me because of the food I'm providing for you. So then he got them above that, and now they said, well, what works do we have to do? So there are many Christians out there that are trying to work for him. So here's the issue. This is what it's all about. There are many people in church, and I don't mean necessarily in this church, in the church, because we're talking about what it means to believe in him. That's what he's talking about here. Believing in, in Him is a functional thing. It's something you don't do just in your mind. It's done with your heart. If you believe with your heart and confess with your mouth, Jesus Christ is Lord, you shall be saved. But there are some people that only believe in their head. It's called mental assent. They read what the Bible says who Jesus is, and they mentally agree with that. But it doesn't have an effect on them. You can agree with all kinds. When I was in college, I was a philosophy major. Between the time I started and I ended, I agreed with all kinds of philosophies while I was going along. And none of them changed me or affected me. They were different ideas, different ways of looking at things, but they didn't change me. They just excited my intellect. They, they, they challenged me and even, and even became proud of what I knew. And there are people in church today in that same case. They know the Bible. They come to church. They do things. And their confidence is in what they know. And they know about Him. They can quote scriptures. And their confidence is in that they can quote scriptures in the, in the, scriptures, in the books they read and how many times they read their Bible. And we should do those things. But it's an intellectual knowledge of Him. And the key is Does it change you? The next thing they looked at is, all right, then what do we have to do? Show me what I can do to be part of you. And notice his answer was, believe in me. He doesn't say, go do anything. Now, there are things to do, but those are the result of what you believe. What he's talking about here, abiding is all about a relationship a heart relationship with Him, and the evidence of it is it changes you. It affects you. Just like that ham sandwich gets affected, it gets changed, and now it begins to be look like me, act like me, talk like me, wherever it may end up. John chapter 15. Another example He gives of the same principle. I am the vine dresser. My father is the vine. I'm the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it that it may bear more fruit. Now, the word take away also can mean lift up. Verse 3. Now he's talking about them. You are already clean, that means saved, because of the word that I've spoken to you. Now here's what you need to do abide in me and i in you and now he's going to give them an example of what that means as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine neither can you that is bear fruit unless you abide in me abide in the i am the vine and you are the branches he who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me or apart from me, you can do nothing. Let's stop there a second. Same idea, just different example. We're all familiar with branches and trees and and, and, and you know we just I just had we just had the trees in our yard uh, trimmed and cut back and raised up because I was noticing when we'd get windstorms, I'd be lots of little dead things out there. Uh, and the dead things weren't producing any, the dead branches weren't producing any, any leaves or any fruit. And so I had the, the dead things trimmed off of it. Um, because when it would come down, fall in the yard, it would no longer produce anything. And so the principle here is he says, first of all, my father's the farmer, he's the, he's the, he's the husbandman. It's his farm. That means the vine belongs to him. That's Jesus and he says i'm the vine and you're the branch now what happens is there is a life force called the sap that comes up through the, from the from the roots through the vine through the trunk through the vine and it flows out through the branches and that life force produces fruit at the other end of the branch but what jesus is teaching here is the condition that's required for that vine, that life force to produce the fruit, is that the branch has to be connected to the vine. This isn't rocket science. This is botany 101, okay? Because you've all seen, if you cut the branch off, you'll see fruit there for a while, but eventually what will happen is, because the branch cannot produce fruit on its own. So what Jesus is telling them is your purpose, you're called to produce fruit, but you can't produce it. So here's what you have to do so that I can produce the fruit through you. You have to make sure that you're connected to me. And so that branch, the focus of the branch isn't on the fruit bearing end. The focus has to be on the abiding end to make sure that the branch is connected in a living way through that vine notice this being close doesn't count being near doesn't count because as long as it's not connected the life can't flow through it so being around the Lord isn't good enough trying to do the things of the Lord won't produce his fruit It may produce fruit that looks good to you and other people, but in His, we're talking about what He sees. Because after all, we're going to stand before Him. We're not going to stand before the horticultural society. You're not going to admire the beautiful blossoms at the end of your life. We're going to stand before Him, and He's going to evaluate what fruit was beneficial to Him and to His kingdom. Just as we looked at faithfulness, it's faithfulness to what he's called you to do not just do good things it's whether they're beneficial to him and to his kingdom not whether that's beneficial to other people that's not our judgment that's his judgment so it's whether the fruit has a value to him not to me so the way you do it is make sure that I'm staying vitally connected to him and the evidence that I'm vitally connected to him is he's producing fruit In me, through me. So my focus has to be my relationship with Him. Now, what do we do to do that? What is the evidence of doing that? First of all, it means just as with the ham sandwich, we start acting like Him. What would Jesus do in this situation? See, as I'm doing this and focusing more on this and meditating on these scriptures more, what I'm beginning to do is identify when I try to get involved in a situation. Somebody does something or says something and I just, this flesh rises up. as I want to give them a piece of my mind. That's me. Now, what that is, literally, is now what I've done. See, I'm joined to Christ, okay? But this situation comes up and now I've decided I'm going to handle this myself. So I leave him. I want to leave him there and go off and handle this myself. So I've determined every day when I get up, Lord, I don't, when I finish my time with him, I don't want to go through this day living my life all my own, separate from you. So whatever situation comes up, my first reaction is, Lord, I'm in you. What do you do? What do you say here? How do you handle this? How do you now? Do I hear an answer all the time? No, Paul didn't either you look in Philippians chapter 3, he said, I've not attained it yet, but I press on, forgetting what lies behind, forget, I press on towards the upward call of Christ that's in, of God that's in Christ Jesus. So I'm pressing on, I'm, I'm pressing into him, I'm pressing tighter and, tighter and tighter and tighter and tighter and tighter and tighter and tighter. So when you're abiding in him, what happens is you begin to act like he does. You begin to Talk like he would talk. Certain things that would have come out of your mouth before won't come out now, because they won't sound like him. Something may come on television. You say, I don't want to look at that. Had that happened just yesterday. Something came on, and I just, I'm not going to look at that. And it, you know, in itself, itself, it wasn't bad in the world standards, or even in most Christian standards. But I'm not looking at it at their standards. Is the Lord looking at this? Do I want Him looking at this? No, I didn't. So I turned it off. There may be things that you hear you need to turn off because He's hearing them. And the more you become identified with Him in a practical way that you live your life, the more you become a conscious of your union with Him and the more of His fruit He can begin to produce in your life. And that's what He's talking about here. Let's go... Um, Let's see, let's go to, back to 1 John. While you're turning back there, 1 John chapter 2. While you're turning back there, um, another thing that's part of this is that <clears throat> what's involved in all of this is therefore His words, which are in your Bible or what He speaks to you, begin to take on a meaning and an authority that's different. Remember, He says, I always do what I hear my father say. I always say what I hear my father say. See, his word begins to have an authority to you other than it's a good suggestion, other than it's a handbook for your life to be blessed. It becomes an authority in your life. Why? Because you be joined to him. In fact, it, later on, we didn't read that far, but Jesus, after he talks about this union, he says, therefore, if you do what I command you. Well, well let's look at that. First John chapter 2. Let's look over at... Um, Verse 3. Now, by this we know that we know Him, if we keep His commandments. He who says, I know Him, and does not keep His commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps His word, truly the love of God is perfected or matured in him. By this we know that we are in Him. By this we know that we are in Him. Why? Because His Word is perfected in us, His love is perfected in us, and His love is perfected in us because we keep His commandment. Verse 6, He who says He abides in Him ought also to walk, that means conduct yourself, just as He walked. He who says He abides in Him, the proof of it, is do you walk the way he walks? Now again, it's a process. It's a process. He who says he knows me then keeps my commandments. It's interesting because in Matthew chapter 7, I think it starts in verse 22. In in chapter, verse 1 through 22, Jesus talks about uh, ask and you'll receive, seek and you'll find, knock on the door, all these wonderful things about asking God's going to give you, asking God's going to give you, asking God's going to give you then the next verse talks talking about what He asks. Just as in John 15, He talks about, you know, if you, if you abide in Me, then whatever you ask, I'll do. But then He talks about obeying Him, which is doing what He asks. See, it's a mutual relationship. If we want God doing whatever we ask, He expects us to do whatever He asks. But He doesn't ask. He commands. He doesn't ask. He Command, just like he doesn't suggest he commands. But in Matthew 7, verses, I think it's verse 21 or 22, he says, in that day, talking about the day we're talking about, when he comes back, in that day, there are going to be many of you that say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't I do wonderful things in your name? Didn't I cast out demons? And listen to this, and raise the dead in your name? And Jesus said, I'm going to say to them, depart from me. Why? Not because they didn't do great works. Why? Because I never knew you. I didn't have a relationship with you. There was not an intimate connection with you. You did great things in my name, but I didn't know you. And notice what he says here. Because here he says, he says the same kind of thing here. Verse 3. By this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He's not saying know who he is. Because we all know who he is. That's how this whole series started out. You know, who is Jesus? Peter says, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. But the real question is, who is he to you? Is he a figure you know about in history? Is he somebody that we have on our bumper sticker or he's on our Bible? Is he somebody that you you may talk to every day, but who is he in your life? What part of your life does he have? What authority is his word in your life or in my life? That's what he's talking about here. He says, if you know me, then you'll do what I say because you'll know who I am to you. And here in Matthew 7, we see Jesus said, there are many of you that are going to have done great things in my name. In other words, you did them for me, but you never knew me. And then he says, and this is the key, depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. You who do what you want to do, listen to me, even if it's a good thing done in his name. Because we're saying, you did good things. I mean, imagine if you're raising the dead. Whoo! I know what I'm called to do now. The Church of Jesus Christ raising the dead ministry. <laughs> Bring them on. <laughs> That's what I'm called to do. Of course, in His name. I mean, you get CBS, CNN. You know, Fox News, they all be around you with their news trucks. You know, you're raising the dead. And you stand before the Lord with all the press clippings. Yeah. <laughs> Lord, look at the news videos. Look what I did for you. And Jesus is going to say, yeah, but I never knew you. I didn't produce those things for you. So how could that happen? Well, first of all, the Bible tells us in the last day, Satan's going to do things like that. So this is why you need to learn to discern. You need to learn to discern. And the only way you can truly discern is to know Him so well. You know what He'd do and what He wouldn't do. Why? Because you've been doing what He'd do or wouldn't do out of that relationship. You could come up to me tomorrow and say, Look, I saw your wife yesterday down drunk in a bar in North Providence. And I would tell you, I don't know who you saw, but I know it was not my wife. You say, I know it was her, I've, you know, I had a picture of her. I said, I don't care what you saw, because I know my wife. Not know about her, I know her. I know her ways. I know what she would do and what she wouldn't do in that situation and I know you would not find her in that place and you surely would not find her drunk in that place because I know her. Abide in me. When we abide in Him, we act like Him because we're joined to Him. I mean, it's, just, it's human. The more you hang around somebody, the more you begin to act like them. That's what Proverbs, most of Proverbs is about, is being careful who you hang around because you'll pick up their habits. You'll pick up their attitudes. You'll pick up their way of thinking. And some of you have had children that you've seen that happen to. They began to hang out with the wrong crowd. They began to abide with the wrong people and the wrong attitudes and the wrong influences. And they begin to pick them up and that's true spiritually. Abiding with Him means spending time with Him. There's no substitute for time. Abiding with Him means obeying Him. Because every time you obey Him, you have a closer connection. Every time you disobey Him, you pull away a little bit. You're trying to handle it on your own. Every time you obey Him, you say whatever you say, I'm, because I'm joined to you. I trust you. I don't see how this is going to work. I don't think I can do this. I don't want to do it. But I trust you. Spending time with him. Obeying with him. Obeying him. Giving his word place in your life. The place it deserves. Talking the way he would talk. And treating each other the way he would treat us. Notice that's what God says. Forgive one another. As I have forgiven you. Love one another as I have loved you. In other words, act like me. And I'll end with this. In Matthew 6, we've talked about this before. Jesus sets some of these standards out and he says some very demanding things. We talked about them on Wednesday night. He says, in one of the most famous things we, you, 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 the people know about, he says, turn the other cheek. You know, so if Jesus said if somebody slaps you on one cheek, turn the other, because the the Old Testament says an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, if somebody slaps you on the left cheek, turn the right, or the one or the other. He said if somebody tries to too, take your cloak, give them two. If somebody asks to borrow something, give them more. In other words, be generous with them. And he says then if somebody you know hurts you, harms you, don't don't go, don't replay, p- repay evil with evil, but instead repay with good. That's in Romans twelve. And then he goes on to say, but even if somebody spitefully uses you, bless them. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who spitefully use you. And he gives the key of all that, so that you may be like your Father who is in heaven. Your Father, not your God who commands you to do it, but your Father whose image you've been born again in. Relationship. This Bible is relationship from one end to the other. It starts with relationship in the garden of Eden and it ends relationship in the new heaven and the newer, in the new heaven where we're all together with him physically in his presence. And it's all about his relationship with us abiding. And then it goes on to say in 1 John chapter 3 he says because we'll have confidence when he comes back why because we're going to see him as he is. In other words, we're going to look at him and look at us and look at him and look at us and say, wow, I'm just like him. And that's where the confidence is going to come from. We're not going to see a Lord standing in front of us whose love and joy and peace, a a Lord who's sacrificing and all those wonderful attributes that he is, and then look at our selfish, self-centered stuff. That's when we're going to shrink back in shame but when we look at Him and realize, ah, I look like Him. Now, I may not, I'm not perfect like Him, but I, I see I'm acting like Him. I'm talking like Him. Then that's going to give me confidence that I belong to Him and to stand before Him.